0: Be reading First John, chapter two, verses fifteen through seventeen. In the pew Bibles, you'll find them on page one thousand 1 John two, fifteen through seventeen. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever." Good morning. It is good to see each you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Your presence here is an honor to us. You've encouraged us, and we hope that we can encourage you. Uh, we have about a hundred away for camp this week, and camp is going uh, very, very well. It is, we're already hearing tremendous reports, and uh, you know, when you stop and think about it, Out of the last seven Sundays, we have had mission teams or now with camp away six of the last seven Sundays. So after a few more Sundays, we might kind of get in a groove, not that that groove would be better than where we are now. It's wonderful to have uh, folks going around and being a part of many good works all around the world, Uh, but it will also be nice to all be back together again. A little boy was in a grocery store, and he noticed that not only was there a box open, but there were cookies in the box that were open. Of course, being a boy and being hungry, he kind of would inch his way towards the box, and then he would look around, and then he would inch his way back over closer to the box, and he would look around. And one time as he was looking in the box, getting very close to it, the storekeeper said, Son, you're trying to steal a cookie, aren't you? He said, Oh, no, sir, I'm trying not to steal a cookie. Now that right there would be one of the best definitions of temptation. That's what temptation is. Temptation is that moment. It is that window where you and I have to make a decision. A decision. Are we going to do the right thing and avoid this temptation? Or are we going to step through that temptation and enter into sin? Now what's interesting, if you've been here... Uh, frequently for the past several weeks, we're really going to be able to put uh, a series of lessons and the lesson last Sunday morning kind of together. If you were not here, this lesson stands on its own very well. But let me remind you, and if you will, be dropping back to Psalms, the 51st chapter. We spent some time recently in Psalms, the 51st chapter. Before we talk about what temptation is this morning and, and how to avoid it and why it looks so tempting, Let's give a quick recognition again to what is sin. One of the best ways to define sin is to define the terms that are used to describe sin in the Scriptures. Recently, we looked at Psalms, the 51st chapter. and In Psalms 51, verse 1 and 2, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your lovingkindness, according to your multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my, now notice this, transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities. And cleanse me from my sin. You remember that transgression, if we'll look at the next slide now, transgression is to cross over the line. When we look at this illustration here of what it might look like, I urge you to keep in mind, this is just a version that I have in my mind, but what we do know is that to live by the will of God is to submit to His commandments. It is to practice the love of God. Now, I need to note that. We just had the scripture reading so capably read for us a few minutes, and one of the first things that's addressed in that scripture reading is, do we love the world or do we love the Father? The love of the Father is keeping His commandments. His commandments that He asks of us are all good. He never asks anything of us except what is right and what is best for us. And so we have these boundaries where He says, I want you to do these things in your life. I want you to avoid these things in your life. And we come to the edge of that boundary. Transgression is to cross over. Transgression is to avoid or to violate the will of God. And so when we do that we have transgressed we have rebelled. You remember that we talked about iniquity. Iniquity is that once we have done that we have polluted our spiritual condition. Sin separates us from God. It pollutes our life. 2nd Peter the 2nd chapter verse 22 tells us that that kind of pollution of sin to God is like a dog vomiting and returning to eat that vomit. So that's why it's called iniquity. It's gross. It's disgusting. The third thing that we see is that it's generally called sin. Sin means ruin. In other words, we have ruined our purpose for living. Sin separates us from God, the home of the soul. You you know, we sometimes sing that song about the home of the soul. We're not designed to live separate from God. When we do that, when we allow sin to separate us, and we're living separate from God on this earth, and then in that case we would for an eternity, our home has missed Our soul has missed its home. In other words, it's sin. It's total ruin in our life. So I want you to think with me for just a moment. Crossing that line, that itself is sin. But now let's back up. What happens before we cross that line? Look, if you will, to James, the first chapter. James, the first chapter, we have a glimpse. We just quickly defined what is sin. But now let's think for just a moment. What is temptation? I need to recognize that there's a difference in sin and temptation. Temptation, once we have yielded to it, leads to sin. But it is that moment of temptation that we all will face. Please note this as we go into this study. You and I are never going to reach a point of spiritual maturity so that we will never be tempted. I've had people to ask me that from a very sincere uh, condition They were discouraged with themselves. They say, you know, I'm avoiding sin, but I find myself being tempted all the time. Is God disappointed with me? God is not disappointed when we are tempted and avoid sin. Temptation is what you and I will experience while we're on this earth. The question is, what will we do during that time? So let's define temptation from the Scriptures here. James, the first chapter. Let's begin reading at verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted... I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. So we know immediately it is not God who tempts us. But each one is tempted when... Now this sounds kind of like a description or a definition to me, doesn't it? Each one is tempted when he is drawn away first by his own desires. King James would say lust there. I would prefer that translation here at this time because you and I can desire things that are right or we can desire things that are wrong. James here is speaking specifically when we desire things that are wrong. And the Greek would back that up here. And so we're drawn away by our own lust and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, you see, that's the two things conceived, the, the lust and the enticing conceived and what it gives birth to sin and sin what happens then when it's full grown brings forth death at this next slide we see just a quick summary of these verses what is lust lust is sinful desire in other words when I when something is wrong but yet I still desire to take part in it to participate in it to make it a part of my life my activities my thoughts whatever it might be We've got to control those thoughts. It is so important for you and I to take our mind into captivity and give it over to God. We must hold ourselves accountable for our thoughts. When we harbor sinful desires, we are setting ourselves up for sin. Because note this, if you and I are harboring a sinful desire, the only thing that has to come along is the opportunity to fulfill it. That is temptation. When we have desire plus the opportunity, that is the moment of temptation. Let me tell you something that is not at all an exact, at least I don't think it is, uh, but I kind of laughed out loud when it happened yesterday. I was typing this this slide yesterday, and as I was typing, it is already about 1 or 1.30 in the afternoon, and I was starving. And as I was typing this slide... I thought, I want to go back and do a quick word study on enticing. And so I was doing a word study on enticing. As I was doing that, my stomach started growling again. I thought, I wish I had something to eat. And about that time, I remembered that Kay Buchanan, bless her heart, she had brought by some of the best pimento cheese the other day. And I thought, hey, I've got pimento cheese in the refrigerator. I don't have to sit here hungry. And what was that? That was desire coupled with the opportunity. I'm still sitting in my chair. What am I going to do? Brought those two together. In a few minutes, I was eating one and a half pimento cheese sandwiches. It wasn't two because I didn't have four pieces of bread. Now, Now, you can take that and say, Okay, what if you and I are struggling with a sinful desire? And what if we do not get a handle on that and we do not bring that desire into captivity to say, Lord, I don't want to fulfill that in my life. I don't want to violate your will. Lord, I want to love you. I don't want to love the world. But we don't do that. Instead, we we start harboring that thought and we start thinking about the love of the world and we start thinking about everything except the godly things. Then an opportunity comes along and when those two are conceived, they bring forth sin. But you see, that opportunity and that desire is what builds temptation. Some of us put ourselves into more temptation than what we ought to be put into because we're not controlling our thoughts. If we'll control our thoughts, we can avoid some temptation because we do not have that sinful desire for that particular thing. And so as we think about this, we think, well, how in the world can Satan make that situation look enticing. Did you notice verse 16 there? Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. You know, sometimes this is said in the Scriptures because He wanted us to believe what has just been written. I believe that could be the case here, but I believe it goes a lot deeper than that. You see, the whole thing about temptation and enticement is that if you and I are not deceived, we would not pass through that temptation and sin. If you and I could see sin for what it really is, not be deceived, we wouldn't sin. Let's drop back to John the 8th chapter and develop this point. In John the 8th chapter we read about how Satan works. In John the 8th chapter, verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires, notice, see, Satan has desire too, and of course his desires would be lust because they're sinful desires. The desires of your father, what is it? They want to do. You see, he's talking about lust there. He's saying, hey, the sinful things your father wants to do, that's the things that you want to do in your life. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. Now notice this. He is a liar and the father of it. So when we have sinful desire, and then we have the enticement, it's just like a while ago when we showed a picture there of the boundaries. It's like Satan holding up something that entices us. But as we look at this next screen, I want you to think about first the first image of the screen there. It's a picture of a fish hook. How easy would it be to catch fish? If you drop that alone in the water... Now, I know somebody's got a story about catching a fish like that, but we're talking about reality and the norm here, okay? You drop that in the water, and what is that saying to the fish? Nothing enticing. Hey, I see it for what it really is. I don't want any part of that. Is that the way Satan works? Does Satan come along and say hey, I want you to sin, it'll separate you from God. And, of course, you're living on an earth also that's sowing and reaping, so it'll also be some negative benefits while you're on this earth, but afterwards there'll be separation for eternity, which is damnation. You still want to sin? No. Every time, please get this. This is the main thrust I would love for you to walk away with this morning because I believe if you and I can grasp this, we'll live a better life this week. Every time we're tempted, we're being lied to. Every time we're being tempted, we're being lied to. If it were not a lie, it would not be temptation. But yet, instead of dropping that in the water, he baits the hook. Now, the hook is not obvious. It's there, and it's just as deadly, but it's not obvious. What is obvious? To the fish, it's something enticing. How does does Satan work with sin? Satan has to entice us. Satan will not show us the hook. Satan will show us things that look good. And everything he shows us that looks good is a lie. It's only to deceive us so that we'll step through it, so that we'll participate in it, only later to find out He lied to me. By this illustration, I am not suggesting that salesmen are not honest by no stretch of the imagination. But how many of us, at least at one time in our life, we have become very angry because after a sale we realized a salesman lied to us. Most of us have probably been there at least once in our life. And it makes us so angry Because now we have lost something of value. Now we have been deceived. Now we've been lied to. I can't believe he or she told me that. They should have been honest with me. Every time we sin, Satan has lied to us. Every time we sin, we have bought the lie. We have believed it. Now, with this in mind, I'd like for us to go back to our text of 1 John, the 2nd chapter. In 1 John, the 2nd chapter, we can ask the question, what is it that is the bait of the world? In other words, if we're going to love the world, how is it that the world baits us in? How is it that Satan disguises sin? And, And he says in verse 16, for all that's in the world... Now, notice these three descriptions... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. I used to believe that every sin fit neatly into one of these categories. I don't believe that anymore. I believe this is a general description, that all sin would fall into these categories, and at times, one might fall into the lust of the flesh, and at another time in our life, one might fall into the lust of the eye. Another could even fall into the pride of life, into all three. But the point is, I need to be aware of these because these are the ways that Satan baits the hook. These are the ways that he tries to deceive us. Now think with me. Just last Sunday morning, we studied in depth the fact that we are either walking by the flesh or we are walking by the Spirit. And the two are contrary to each other what was the first thing that he said, don't do this, there's a hook hidden in it. He says, don't lust after the flesh. In other words, don't have a desire to fulfill the flesh. And we can go to Galatians, the fifth chapter, and we can see all of those items that are works of the flesh. And he's saying, do not long to do those. Or we can talk about the lust of the eye. The lust of the eye is when we see something, and because we see it, We harbor or develop a longing for it that is sinful. When the children of Israel went to war against Ai, God told them specifically destroy everything, do not bring back any spoils. Achan went, and the scripture says in Joshua, the seventh chapter, when he saw, notice his eyes, when he saw the expensive Babylonian garment the 20 shekels of silver and the wedge of gold that weighed 50 shekels, he coveted it and took it and hid it under his tent. God allowed that army to be destroyed in the next battle. Or at least to lose the battle. Thirty-seven men died. They had to retreat. They couldn't understand why in the world did this happen. When they began investigating why God no longer was protecting them, they found out that someone had sinned against God. How did he sin against God? Lust of the eyes. Seeing something and wanting it so desperately that he would violate the will of God in order to obtain it. The pride of life. What is the pride of life? What are Christians to do? What's the first thing someone has to do to become a Christian according to Jesus Christ? If any man will come after me, let him deny self, take up his cross, and follow me. The first thing we have to do is say, I want to humbly serve God. No more am I first and preeminent. God is first and preeminent. I want to magnify God in my life. What is the pride of life? Pride of life is any time we try to put ourselves back on top again. Hey, I'm working hard in the church, and I want people to thank me for it. No, let's work hard in the Lord's church and let's give God the glory for it all. Hey, I'm really a talented person. I want everybody to pat me on the back. No, let's give God the credit. He's the one that gave us the talents that we have. Friends, everything in our life ought to be about giving God the glory. Everything. And anytime that is a missed priority, we then are suffering from the pride of life. Look with me to Genesis, the third chapter. In Genesis, the third chapter, it is very interesting how we see what seems to be these three being referred to, uh, even though, of course, 1 John was written much, much later than this. But this is what took place when Eve was being tempted. You remember God said not to touch or eat of the tree that's in the midst of the garden and and the serpent comes along and he starts playing some mind games with her. and, And what does he do? He lies to her. God said, you shall surely die, and he just gave a bold-faced lie. You shall not surely die. See, temptation is being opened up. How? Satan is lying. Well, how is he going to make this lie look good? How is he going to make it appealing? He walks her over to the tree. And let's notice here as we read verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food... That would be lust of the flesh, wouldn't it? That it was pleasant to the eyes. You see, that's lust of the eye. And a tree desirable to make one wise. Hey, this will give me one up. Pride of life. She took. See, before that, it was only temptation. Now it's becoming sin. She took of its fruit and ate it. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. She was willing to violate God's will to fulfill the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. As we kind of wrap up several studies that we've made from different passages this morning, I want you to think with me again back to our text in 1 John. When we look at verse 15, the question is very clear. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This morning, the question is, who do you love? Can you honestly say from the depths of your heart, not to please people's ears, but can you say from the depths of your heart, I love the Father. I truly want a close relationship with God. I truly want to live out God's will in my life. Please notice. If we cannot say that, we cannot avoid and overcome temptation. Someone says, well, I guess I love the Father, but the truth is, preacher, I don't even understand what this talk is about love the world. What in the world is the world? The world is spoken of three ways in the Scriptures. The world, speaking of trees and mountains and nature. Another way it's spoken of is mankind. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But there's a third way that's spoken of, and we still use this language today. You know how if you talk about the sports world, it's the system made up of people and actions and activities. Those things, that system comes together to make its own little world. We're not talking about another planet, are we? We're just talking about the world. Or we can talk about the political world. This is the way John uses this here. He's talking about The world as it relates to Satan. It's Satan's world. The world that is in opposition to Christ. And Satan is wanting to grow his world. He's wanting other people to join him in his world. And his activities are going to be things that work against Christ. And the people he gathered together, they are going to be the ones that work against Christ also. And so now we have to decide. Are we going to love the Father? Or are we going to love the world? Are we going to love being opposed to Christ? And I tell you, gives me coach, you'll say that. How could we say we love being opposed to Christ? We can't. This morning our stand is, is with the Father. But to do that, we have to avoid a heart that would harbor the desires of flesh the desire of of eyes, the desire of pride that would work against the will of God. And the results are beautiful. Notice verse 17. The world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Ever. This world will win. And on that day, those that love the world and they love the things in the world, it'll be their end too. And the scripture is called destruction because the, their soul will never reach its home. But those that love the Father, death is simply a passageway to abide with the Father forever. The little Indian boy was challenged to climb to the very top of the mountain, get a feather out of the nest. It'd take him a few days for the journey and to return, but if he did so, he'd be considered a man among his community. As he climbed hours and hours to pass the tree line, finally to the top to get the feather. And then as he turned back to his surprise, late in the fall, it was freezing was a snake He immediately recognized it was a highly poisonous snake And he stepped away from it But he continued to look at it Because it was a beautiful snake And as he was passing around on his descent The snake said, hey Can you help me? I need to get to the valley or I'm going to die It's too cold here The Indian boy He kind of gave one of those looks like Who do you think I am? Oh No I know who you are. You're a poisonous snake, a highly poisonous snake, the most poisonous snake. I'd die within a few minutes if you bit me. There's no way I'm going to pick you up. He says, you don't understand. Look at me. Do I look that mean? And besides, I need your help. I would never hurt you because you could save my life. I'll put my life in your care. Please, please take me to the valley. The boy finally, reluctantly, picked up the snake. He began his descent. He placed him inside his jacket. Hours later, he reached the, the valley. He reached into that beautiful snake and he placed him on the ground and he told him he was safe now. But immediately, the snake struck twice, bit him on both legs. The boy, in terror, screamed out, Why? Why did you do that? I did exactly what you asked, and you said you wouldn't hurt me. Now I only have a few more minutes to live. Why did you do that? To which the snake responded You knew what I was before you ever picked me up. Satan has hooks every day about us, except they're disguised, they're beautiful. And they have a good story. And sometimes we foolishly pick them up. Let's make sure that we love God and know His will so much that by His strength, we can see through the deception. And before we pick it up, say, I know what you are. This morning, if you're carrying the guilt of sin, the good news is Jesus Christ is a Savior. If you are ready to be baptized into Him for the remission of those sins, won't you do that this morning? Maybe you've been baptized into Christ, and somewhere along the way, you've let sin separate you from God. We know that it happens. And we find ourselves at those points and places and times in our life where we say, Why did I let it happen? How did it happen? And the most important thing that I can deal with this morning is just seeking God's forgiveness and moving on. Let's make sure that we all leave here this morning determined to love the Father, not the world. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.